Bibles with me, turn to Psalm 92. Well, last week we began uh, a study examining uh, an aspect of the Christian life that we all must face, and, and I entitled it From Tragedy to Triumph, Facing Problems, Facing, facing Issues. And uh, I'd like to begin tonight by reading from Psalm 92, and I, I just want to read the first five verses. You can remain seated as we read. David writes here in this psalm, in verse 1, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning, and thy faithfulness every night, upon an instrument of ten strings, and upon the psaltery, upon the harp, with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. Let's pray. Our Father, we do stand here tonight, and we do praise you, and we give thanks unto you. Whether we are atop the mountain uh, in victory, or whether we are deep in the valley of despair, Father, we know that you are faithful. We know that you are ever with us, and that you will ever guide us. And as we endeavor to study tonight and, and to draw to a close these thoughts on, on facing tragedies and, and seeing triumphs, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. Pray you'd comfort those tonight that are ill and cannot be with us. Pray you'd comfort our pastor as he, as he uh, sits several hours from here, and I know he'd like to be with us. I just pray you'd uh, comfort him and strengthen him. And then, Lord, bless each of us who are here tonight to hear the teaching of your word. Bless the teaching of your word, I pray. Despite the person that will give the teaching, the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless that which is taught. Thank you for this time now. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we, we noticed and, and saw that offenses, and by offenses, I mean trials, tribulations, problems, troubles, etc., will come. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 7, we read, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. And we saw here that Jesus himself stated that offenses are a necessity of life. They will come. We saw that these offenses for the believer, however, does not mean defeat. Rather, we saw that they serve to teach us to build us up in our faith. They serve to give us patience, hope, faith, and lead us into godliness. We saw that from these things, God is exalted and glorified. Last week we said, number one, do not be surprised, expect tragedy. We told you to be prepared for trouble, be prepared for offenses, because they will come. There were two things that we examined uh, concerning these offenses first is that they were certain last week we saw that these offenses are certain jesus said they must needs come they will come um, not because god puts it in the heart of man to sin rather because the sinfulness of man is great and it is certain that he will offend others so first we saw that offenses are certain but then we saw uh, that they are woeful and we noticed that there are two woes given in this case first they are woeful to the careless and unguarded to whom the offense is given. Woe unto us when we are so careless as to stumble into these snares. We must be attentive. 
Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.15 that we must walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise men. We're to walk as wise men. Second, a woe is pronounced upon the wicked, those who willfully offend. So first, we are to expect sorrows and not be surprised by them when they come. But then, last week also, secondly, we said when tragedy does come, exhibit courage. And we looked at Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, where the Lord admonished Joshua. He commanded him to be of good courage. And from this passage of Scripture, we examined some important truths to be applied in times of trouble. We said, first, uh, we must do what is written in the Word of God. If we're to be obedient children unto God, then we must do more than just agree with the concept of God's Word. We must obey and do what we read and hear. But then secondly, we said we must do according to what is written. I said last week, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, then we must believe in the authority of his word. Therefore, we must receive his word as our absolute authority. And we must comply with that authority without question or compromise. We dare not seek to cause God's word to conform to our lives. Rather, we must cause our lives to conform to the word of God. And then thirdly, last week, we said we must do according to all that was written. It is important that we remember that in times of trouble, we will be tempted to re-examine and reassess our beliefs and our principles. We must remain strong in these times. God repeatedly admonished Joshua and the people of Israel to be strong and of a good courage. So when trouble comes, exhibit courage. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Stand, stand tall and, and look for God for your help. Now tonight I want to look at one more thought. And that is this. Number three, in the face of tragedy, anticipate victory. In the face of tragedy, anticipate victory. We read a moment ago from Psalm 92. And I'll read it again. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works and thy thoughts are very deep. Victory is a wonderful word. We all love victories, don't we? We love to watch our team and root for our team, and when our team wins, we just get so excited. I like to walk in pastor's office and talk to him about Kentucky basketball. He loves Kentucky basketball. And when they win, and I say, so pastor, how did Kentucky do? He puts a big smile on his face. And, ah, they, were, they played pretty good. They won. But when they don't win, I go out and say, Pastor, how'd Kentucky do? Oh. And he just puts that scowl on his face. Oh, they didn't do very good last night. We love victories. As American people, we love victory. We love victors in America. We remember all of those who won the victories, but seldom do we remember those who suffered the defeats. Most, most people, as avid football fans, could name off the Super Bowl winners from 1 to 45. But they can only come up with a handful of the losers. Usually it's when they're a team that loses. That's the ones they remember. Americans love victors. We love victory. All of us here tonight could tell 
stories of the victories that we've experienced in our lives. Now, have you ever noticed that when a person relates a story of victory to you, that they're always smiling? Did you ever notice that? When people talk about a victory, you know, you go up to some kid who won the pine car derby. Oh, Dylan, go, go find Dylan and say, hey, did you win the pine car derby? he go, yeah. And he got a big smile on his face and he'll tell you all about it. Rarely do you tell stories of victory with a depressed mood or a depressed voice. They go up and say, hey, did you win that race? Yeah. Yeah, I won. That's not the way you, you behave when, when you're victory. You're excited and, and, and you're thrilled with victory. I read a story of a little dog that got excited with his newfound favor. The story goes, one morning I opened the door to fetch my newspaper and was surprised to see a strange little dog with my paper in his mouth. Delighted with this unexpected delivery service, I fed him some treats. The following morning, he says, I was shocked to see the same dog sitting at my front door, wagging his tail with eight newspapers at his feet. (laughs) He said, I spent the rest of that morning returning the papers to my neighbors. Now, this little dog didn't just take his one treat and go his way. He, He must have said to himself, I have found my gravy train. He didn't just show up the next day with one paper. No, no, he went out and loaded up. He must have been so appreciative of the treat he received for the one paper that he decided to do even more. And this little dog can teach us all a very valuable lesson. In his actions, we see characteristics such as appreciation, thankfulness, trust, obedience, and dependence, to name just a few. When tragedy, when trouble, when sorrow, when despair presents itself, We, as children of God, should begin looking for and pursuing victory. We need not worry about the ultimate results of the present trouble that we face. Remember the faith and courage of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as the story is related in Daniel chapter 3. Let's turn there, if you would. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Now, I won't have time to read all 25 verses here. But let's go to Daniel chapter 3. And we'll begin reading it at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image 
that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down in worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now, these three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they heard this proclamation, began looking for the victory the very moment that this problem presented itself to them. We see in verses 17 and 18, if you'll look with me, they, they proclaim unto the king. Well, let's back up just a moment here and, and look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. And that phrase, careful to answer thee, means we're not afraid to tell you what we think. They're saying, we don't have to think about this. We don't have to, we don't have to pick and choose our words. We're going to tell you exactly how we feel about it. Verse 17, it says, if it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. What a proclamation they've made. They were acknowledging the fact that God is sovereign and that his will is according to his own purpose and pleasure. In verse, uh, at the end of verse 17, they state, And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. In other words, they, they told him, If God so desires, Nebuchadnezzar, he will deliver us from this furnace. He will not allow us to suffer this furnace, if it be his will. But then at the end they say, but if not. In other words, they're not concerned with what happens to them during this process. They know and they realize that at the end of it all, victory awaits them. What they were saying here is, our God is mightier than you. And he is able, if it be his will, to deliver us from this furnace, as well as from the authority of your control. That's what they meant when they said, he will deliver us out of thine hand. In other words, they're telling the king, we not, we don't, we're not going to submit to you. We're not going to subject ourselves to your heathen idol, and we're not going to bow down to it. And if you don't like it, there really isn't anything you can do about it. Because if you throw us in the furnace, if God wants to, he'll save us. If he doesn't, he won't. But either way, you're not going to control us. And you know, that's what we need in America tonight. That's what we need in America tonight. Amen? Don't we? Don't we need some men who are going to stand up and say, look, do what you want to do to me. I don't care. I'm going to obey God. And one way or another, I'll be, I'll be rid of you. If I die in the furnace, so be it. If I live through it, guess what? You're not going to have any control over me. And we need that tonight. These Hebrew children knew that alive or dead, they would gain the victory over King Nebuchadnezzar. The victory was sure. Then in verse 18, we see the great determination of these three by their declaration, but if not. What they were telling King Nebuchadnezzar is that even if God chooses not to deliver us from this fire, we still will not bow down and serve your false gods. How often do men today, by lack of faith, bow down to the images of the world? We must remain strong. 
And we must know, as these Hebrews' children knew, that alive or dead, we will be with the Lord, and the victory will be ours. What is the worst possible thing that could happen to you as a human being tonight? The worst possible thing is that you would die. Right? And if you're a child of God, where will you be? You'll be with the Lord in heaven. So what? The world's going to threaten you with heaven? Huh? We, we need to be strong as God's children. We need to be strong, and we need to have confidence. And we need to know that the victory, one way or the other, the victory is ours. Then when victory comes, we will have much to rejoice in. We will have much to praise God for. Now, look at, with me again at, at the first five ver- verses of Daniel chapter 3. In these first five, five verses, we see the result. Uh, I'm sorry, not the first five, the last five verses of chapter 3. Look with me. Uh, maybe I do have gumboitis, Gary, I'm not sure. The last five verses. And in these last five verses, we, we see the result of the courage of these children. We see King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian Empire, praising the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You read those last five verses, and, and look, matter of fact, Look at verse 28 with me. We read, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Now, while I sure don't necessarily approve of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's methods uh, for enforcing this, we see him praising God. We see God gain glory through the courage and faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And by the way, for those of you who aren't too familiar with the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did get cast into the furnace. They actually did get thrown in there. The, the soldiers who bound them and threw them in, the heat of the furnace was so great it consumed them immediately. And then King Nebuchadnezzar looks down into the furnace and asks his, asks his counselors, he says, hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? And they said, yep, that's what we did. He said, well, I see four. I see four men walking around, and the fourth is like unto the Son of God. You see, God gained great glory through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's suffering. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gained great victory. And I can, I can bet you, I can guarantee you, I won't bet you, but I guarantee you that for the remainder of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life, when people saw them, they said, that's them. That's the guys right there. They are the ones that the king threw in the furnace, and they came out. Not even a hair on their head was singed. God gained great glory from their suffering. So, we as God's children must learn that when we suffer, we're to look for victory. Now, let's refer back for a moment to our text verses, Psalm 92. And I believe it's important tonight that when trouble comes our way, 
that it's important for us to learn to praise the Lord. Praise God in our suffering. Praise God in our sorrow. Praise God in our trouble. Now, there are four, le- four lessons to be learned from Psalm 92, verses 1 through 5. I want to share those with you tonight, and we'll be on our way. First, letter A, first we see the goodness of praising God. If you're still there at Psalm 92 and verse, verse, uh, verses 1 through 5, um, look with me at verse number 1. We see, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. We see the goodness of praising God. Praise offered uh, for all the Lord's mercies, both temporal and spiritual, for Christ and salvation by him. Praise offered for all of the Lord's mercies, uh, for the gospel, and for gospel opportunities and gospel ordinances, for such days and seasons as this psalm was composed for. It is good to do. It is good to praise the Lord, for it is the will of God that we should give thanks in and for everything. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, we read, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. For this praise and this thanks is due unto him and is our reasonable service. It is well-pleasing unto God, and it is pleasant work for the saints themselves. And it is profitable unto us to be thankful for what we have been given, which is eternal life, and for what has not been imputed unto us, and that is our sins. It is a good thing to give thanks. It is a good thing to praise the Lord. At that point in time... Uh, We look back at the mercies and blessings of our Lord. We must not be overcome by the disappointments of the moment. When When trials or tribulations come your way and begin its unforgiving work, give thanks unto the Lord. Have you have you given the Lord thanks even in your troubles, even in your sorrows? Because whatever befalls us. We should be a thankful people because God has given us much more than we deserve. More than we could ever deserve. The songwriter put it best when he said, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Too often... We judge God's goodness by how much he gives us rather than by how little he takes. Do we really believe that we deserve anything from God? Is not God perfect in his judgment? Is he not justified in his chastisement of us? Indeed he is, and how seldom... Do we get what we truly deserve? Well, I thought about that this week. (laughs) I thought this week about how little I really deserve and how good and how gracious God is to me. I, I, I have the opportunity to work with young people in this school every day. I, I, I get to... I'm given by God the the privilege to open the Bible as I did this morning in chapel and preach to these children from the Word of God to spend time throughout the day 
uh, trying to encourage them to be, to be Christ-like in their walk. I have a beautiful grandson, most beautiful baby in the world. Could win every beauty contest, hands down. My daughter came by to school today, and, and I was holding my grandbaby, and, and for a moment a tear escaped my eye, and I thought, how gracious God is, how wonderful he is. That he's given us, he's given us a family, he's given us, he's given us a church, and he's given us an opportunity to, to serve him. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord. And, and by the way, the only way serving God isn't standing behind this pulpit. There are, there are people that, that mow the lawn on Saturday and, and, and blow the leaves around the parking lot. I don't know why we do that, because God's wind takes care of it anyway. I've watched those poor men spend hours blowing everything across the parking lot and go home and get here the next morning, and the parking lot's full of leaves again. God says, ah, you're wasting your time. There are people that do things around here that, that no one ever sees. What a privilege it is for us to serve the Lord, amen? What a privilege it is to have a place where we bring our children and they hear the word of God taught in its, in its entirety and in its truth. It's a great thing. How seldom God takes from us all that he, he could and should. God is long-suffering with us. And he is forgiving toward his children. His mercy is manifested in that he does not render unto us the judgment that we truly deserve. So first, we, we see the goodness in praising God. It's, it's good because God relishes and loves our praise, and it's good because it, it, it strengthens the heart of the believer to, to remember his God and remember the graces of his God. But then secondly, from Psalm 92, verses 1 through 5, we learn the purpose of praising God. And the purpose, David wrote, is to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness Every night. God has shown forth his loving kindness to you and I in the gift of Christ. And Christ has manifested God's loving kindness by his ministry to us. And we saints should show it forth also with our lips to warm the hearts of one another and to encourage distressed minds. That's right. Do you know, as you sit here in these pews, there may be your, some of your brothers and sisters sitting here who are discouraged. There may be, there may be some, of our, some of God's children who, who need to hear someone praise God because they need that in their hearts and in their lives. And, and when we show forth God's loving kindness by, by praising God for all his gracious works unto us, you can be an encouragement to someone else. This should be a motive of our thanksgiving and praise. This loving kindness of God is exuberantly wonderful through the instances of its manifestation in our election, in our redemption, in our calling, in our adoption, and in eternal life. It is worthy of all praise by virtue of the freeness and immutability of it. Now this praise is to be offered every morning, the psalmist says, and, again, every night. We, are, we, are, we, as forgetful beings, often fail to remember the goodness of God. And we must be reminded, and often, of that goodness. Our lips must sing forth the faithfulness of God to all peoples. 
You know, so often I hear preachers say, you ought to get up in the morning and first thing you ought to spend time with God in prayer. And I do believe that you ought to spend time with God in prayer in the morning. But what about at night? What about in the evening before you pillow your head? What about stopping and saying, God, thank you? What, what all the things you did for me today? Uh, have you ever taken the time every evening before you go to sleep to stop and thank God for his graces for that day, for what he gave you, for what he did for you? We forget. We're forgetful people. Every morning we face the coming day with much anticipation and expectation as to the providence of God. And each night we have much praise to offer for the faithfulness of God to us throughout the day. We do not know but that our praise might be the hope of a discouraged brother. Our praise may be the song that turns an errant soul to Jesus Christ. So dare we be silent? Dare we sit and allow troubles, sorrow, tribulation, trials? Dare we allow these things to rob us of the joy of the Lord? Dare we behave as defeated children when God has given us the power to vanquish sin and conquer the spirit of the Antichrist? Have we forgotten what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 where he proclaims, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, there's purpose in praising God in the midst of our troubles. And then thirdly tonight, I think we can learn from Psalm 92, verses 1 through 5. Third, we find the method of praising God. We find the method of praising God. The psalmist writes here, upon an instrument of ten strings, and upon the, psal- upon the psaltery, upon the harp, with a solemn sound. Now, all these instruments of music were typical of the spiritual joy and melody that the saints held in their hearts when they praised the Lord. Music has always played a large part in the worship of God, and today it is the same. Consider what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, where he he writes, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we read in the 95th Psalm, the second verse, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him was psalms. Then in Psalm 100 and verse 2, we read, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Music plays a very large role in our lives, and it has always been so. We use music to express and communicate our emotions. Now, music in and of itself is neither good nor evil. It is no different than this study that I've written. It is a form and a means of communicating thoughts and feelings. Yet, too often, God's people have perverted their music 
their use of music in praising him. Using music that appeals to the flesh rather than hymns of praise that lift the heart. We have failed to properly understand and teach the use of music and singing in our worship to our children. And today, young people surrender themselves to the wrong music. Our music should glorify God and lift his name. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known his faithfulness unto all generations. Not, yeah, baby, come on down to the church house and worship Jesus with me. We laugh, but it's not too far off. It's perverted. Our music should lift the heart of the believer. I love that song, Why Do I Sing About Jesus? It's in our hymn book. Songs such as this um, will lift in the heart of the believer and will glorify the Lord. And, and, and it's when we sing and when we praise him. So don't be late for the public singing of our church service. So many people use the singing time as, a, as an extra 15 minutes to get here on Sunday morning. We start the church service off. There's five people out there. By the time I get through the third song, there's 25 people. When I'm singing the closing hymn, there's 55 people. What's going on? We, don't, we, 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 we dismiss this time of praise and worship as unimportant. Yet God desires that we sing and lift our voice unto him and praise him in song. Listen, arrive in time to sing every verse, every line. And lift your voice in praise unto the Lord. There have been times when the songs that we sang have lifted my heart. Been times when maybe I was feeling, I was, I was having a little party, you know, one of those one-on-one self-pity parties. And I hear the songs of the Lord and, and the praise of the Lord, and it lifts your heart and makes you, makes you, makes you appreciate the Lord and praise his name. Men, be proud to sing. Huh? In chapel and school, I can't hardly get the young guys to sing. It's almost, it's almost like, you know, it's not cool to sing. You know, man, I'm cool. I don't sing. They're ashamed. They're ashamed to sing praises unto their God. And that's a, that's a shame, isn't it? Dads ought to teach your sons to sing. I don't care if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. Sing with them. This is no little thing. You study the book of Psalms, it's all music. It's all about singing and praising and, and lifting your heart and, and rejoicing unto the Lord in song. I've been searching out for years to find some young guy that I could, I could get to start working and take over the song leading in the church. He ain't out there yet. Forgive my English. The method that David said he would use to praise the Lord was singing, was song. And, and music is a part of your children's lives, whether you realize it or not, whether you want to accept it or not. So help them find the right music. Help them find the right singing. Teach them to sing. Encourage them to sing. Be here for the song service. You know, that lifts the heart of your pastor, by the way. 
So many times we come around that corner, pastor looks out there and says, wow, where is everyone? I always tell them, don't worry, they'll be here. They'll get here for dessert. They skip the meal, skip the salad, skip the meal, and go right to dessert. Teach your son, teach your children to sing praises unto God. For our sincere praise and worship is what God desires from his people. So we see the goodness in praising God, the purpose in praising God, the method in praising God. And fourthly, we learn the joy in praising God. David writes, for thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. Now, praising God brings great joy. During the darkest moments of your life, when it seems nothing couldn't go right, it is then that your joy can be its greatest. It is in coming to the realization that God is in control of everything, even this present trouble we find ourselves in. It is God that has allowed this to come into our lives, and it is God that will see us through. We will be taught and purified in this fire. We shall come forth as gold. God only desires to remove the dross from our lives. Now notice that the psalmist stated that he was made glad through the work of God in his life. It is God that has made us and not we ourselves. We are the work of his hands. We are the product of his design. If I wish to possess true joy today, I cannot find it in temporal things. The joy of the Lord cannot be bought with money, nor can it be obtained by the craftiness of man. It can only be given as a free gift of God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 26, Solomon writes, For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he giveth travail. Men have sought to find joy in gold and silver and precious jewels, yet they find that these things rust away and bring corruption to their lives. Men have sought to find joy in exalting their name above every other name, yet all they find is the reproach of men and a snare unto their own hurt. Men have sought to find joy in robbing and killing to achieve their desires, yet they find that at the end of the road to desires the cost of their own souls. You see, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the path that Jesus leads us down is not always a beautiful path. It is sometimes fraught with peril, and often we find ourselves questioning the, wis the wisdom of that path. Yet, this path, path always leads us to safety, to the will of God. Now, the world's path is usually very attractive at the beginning. You see, the devil hides the peril and, he, and waits until we have traveled too far down his pathway to easily turn back. Then he pulls away the facade and the evil is revealed. The heart that praises God is a heart that is humble before God. It is a heart that finds joy in the knowledge of God and needs no other benefits. And in the end, it is a heart that is victorious. The psalmist declared that his triumph comes from the work of God's hands, not his own. From tragedy to triumph. As I said last week when I began this study, every one of us in this room, we have either just come out of a, a problem we're about to head into a problem, 
or we're smack dab in the middle of a problem. Jesus said, it must needs be that offenses will come. We are all going to face trouble. So as God's children, when we do face trouble, when we do face sorrow, when we do face disappointment, what do we do? Well, first, expect troubles. Don't be surprised by them. Realize that throughout your life you will face problems. Secondly, exhibit courage. Don't fear what man can do. Don't quit. Don't get, don't get all wrapped up in your problems to the point that you, you just give up and quit. What do you do in the face of these troubles? Anticipate victory because victory is sure. As the three Hebrew children said, throw us in the furnace if you want to. God will save us if he wants to. He won't if he doesn't. But either way, O king, I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to face this trial, and I know that I'm going to come out on the other side. Dead or alive, I will have the victory. So Christians, and believe me, I'm speaking to myself tonight. I'm preaching to myself tonight. Have courage. Don't be afraid. Praise God in the, in the midst of troubles. Stand up tall and, 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 and proclaim that you're a child of God and, and praise him. Thank you, God. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I know, that, I know that it's your will, and thank you. Give me the strength. Give me the courage. Each night when you, go, when you go to bed, thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving me the strength today. Thank you for allowing me to, 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 to proclaim your word, to, to witness on your behalf. Thank you, Lord, for all your grace and mercy. Be men and women of, of, of faith and courage. And, and don't give in to your trials. Don't give in to your troubles. Stand tall. Be brave. Be, be strong. Be of good courage. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Lord, we all face problems. We all have sorrows. We all have disappointments. We all have concerns on our hearts that, that seek to pull away our joy, that seek to cause us to even doubt you. But Lord, you are faithful. And Lord, you have, you have been faithful to us and you promised to be with us, so we ask tonight, Lord, that you would give us the strength, that you would give us courage, that we might stand tall, and that we would praise you with our, with our voice. We would praise you with our hearts. We would lift our voice and, and praise your holy name. And Lord, we know that victory is right around the corner for your children. Victory may not always come in the form that we think it will, but, Lord, we do know that your will shall be done, and that's the victory we seek, is that your will be done in our lives and in our hearts. So I thank you for everyone here tonight. I pray the time would not have been wasted. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have spoken to each heart here, and I pray that you would have given each of us what we need so that we might please you and live our lives to your glory. Thank you for this time. We do pray that you would... Look after our pastor and bring him home quickly. We do pray also that you would look after Pastor Castro as he travels here this weekend to preach for us. We look forward with great anticipation to the messages he'll bring. And, Lord, we believe and, and, and hope in the fact that, that you will speak to us through his words. Thank you, Father, for this time now. We ask that you would bless us all and give us mercies as we go through 
and go home this evening. Thank you for all these things, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.